<laughs> what is going on? I, I hit the intro outro uh, button up top, like the, all the fun buttons we get. Very cool. <laughs> yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg. I'm joined today by my co-editors, Chris Schutte and Kyle Cajero. We are recording this on Sunday night, the night before the first part of championship week. We get a lot of the smaller conferences beginning their tournaments this week. A lot of those conferences ended their regular seasons on Saturday and Sunday of this weekend, so we know... A lot of postseason brackets. We've been getting them up on the site, so be sure to check that out. Uh, I want to start, however, with a couple of teams that are still in the midst of their regular seasons. Won't be playing their conference tournament until next week, and that is Nevada and Utah State. Those two played one of the more highly anticipated games of the weekend on Saturday night. That was one where Nevada lost. They're now 26-3, and the final score, 81-76 to at Utah State. This win may put Utah State on the right side of the bubble, may knock Nevada another seed line, who knows. Uh, but I think the most interesting thing to come out of this game was what happened afterward. A reporter got video of Jordan Caroline appearing to punch the glass that was i believe covering a fire alarm or fire extinguisher and breaking it and then yelling obscenities at somebody we couldn't really tell who the nevada staff stepping in and yelling as well a police officer trying to break things up and then a whole lot of nothing nevada didn't make its players or coaches available to the media after the game um so we didn't get much explanation from their end uh, from what we've heard, sounds like a few things may have happened. Uh, number one, when Utah State won, their fans stormed the court, and it was possible that some of the fans came into contact with Nevada players. That is one thing. Another thing, uh, it's a rumor, can't confirm it, that a Utah State coach, a member of the coaching staff, um, said a few choice words to the Nevada players in the handshake line. And there may have been a uh, racial epithet used by somebody, by a fan or coach, or we don't know who, at some point. So all of those things together made for what was really a, a weird and disturbing scene after the game. And I just want to throw it out to you guys. What, what do you make of what happened and what are we going to see going forward as a response, either from uh, either of these teams or from the Mountain West? I, I want to preface it by saying that the, the game itself was was very was very physical. Um, emotions were running really high the entire time. Um, obviously, there was a lot at stake. So I, I wasn't surprised to see, you know, emotions kind of running high in the post-game um, situation that we saw. And I think... Th- with the whole court storming thing, this is kind of the worst case scenario that we gets people, you know, all riled up and saying we need to end court storming and just, you never want players coming in contact with a fan. 
you don't want opposing coaches yelling at opposing players under any circumstances, especially post game. And you absolutely don't want, you know, a fan shouting or some, a coach shouting a racial slur um, at anyone. Uh, like you said, we, we are not entirely sure what happened. I think last I saw the mountain West was investigating it and we're hoping to issue a statement on it here in the next couple of days. But I think it's really hard to formulate an opinion on, you know, what happened, who's in the wrong, who's in the right, um, until we know more information moving forward. Yeah, and just an update there. Uh, Utah State is investigating things on their end. They've announced in the Mountain West we'll be reviewing tape of what happened. It's not clear what that tape will show because, again, this happened post-game during the court storm, so not sure what sort of answers we're going to be getting, but I'm sure we are going to hear something in the coming days from all parties involved. Yeah. And uh, based on like the videos I've seen, like, like going around Twitter, it's hard to really, you know, kind of make out anything that happened for sure. Just cause it's, I mean, there's so many people on the court and there's so many moving parts. It's hard to really narrow down what actually happened in the moment. Yeah. We, we were kind of debating this in Slack last night about what should happen in terms of any punishments, um, mainly talking about Jordan Caroline because he did appear to break uh, physical property of Utah State. And it, I, I think we, we disagreed but came to sort of a, a common ground at, at the end, which is if what we've heard about happening, if, if what maybe potentially happened is true, then on a personal level, I think we understand Jordan Caroline's reaction. Mm-hmm. But I think as an NCAA student athlete, and, and not to sound like an asshole, but I'm going to, <laughs> um, you have to hold yourself to a higher standard and you can't let things affect you in a way that would turn to physical violence like this, even if, again, as people, we understand it. Um, you, you can't go in and break something that's not yours. And I think Jordan Caroline is going to need to, or I think he will receive some sort of punishment because of that. And I guess it would behoove Nevada to get out in front of it early instead of having this drag on. Um, I, I too am in the camp as both of these gentlemen are that, uh, you know, from a personal standpoint, whatever was said on the Utah state side, whatever happened after the game was wrong um, and was disrespectful and I hope that we could all agree with that um, by we, I mean, the listeners at large. Um, but at the same time, like on the positive side, if there is a one game suspension, the next game is at Air Force. Um, so it's not exactly like playing San Diego State, which is the season closer. Um, I don't know. It, it was just a disappointing kind of ends to a very, you know, as Chris said, a very physical, you know, very high stakes game where. You know, I, I, I don't want to use this as an excuse because it sucks when people do this, but the officiating was questionable. Charges happened that shouldn't have happened. Um, it was just emotional all around. And to see this happen kind of, you know, in the dead of night afterwards was, I don't know. It, it wasn't fitting, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I just want to reiterate, just in case anybody is confused at all. I don't 
like actually fault Jordan Caroline for for what he did, even if you know by by the letter of the law he should be punished. Like I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to defend Nevada in a way that I'm guessing not many media types will, and that is I don't blame them at all for not meeting with the media after the game. Um, I know that it is the coach's job to do that. And depending on what um, regulations are in place at the university, probably make a student athlete or two available. Um, But I think it was wise on their end to not put microphones in front of their faces when they were this emotional. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, I mean, it's unfortunate for the reporters who were there who need to file a story and probably want quotes. Um, But I, I don't think any, good could come from that to be honest oh absolutely i think in that situation um correct me if i'm wrong i'm assuming nevada issued a statement that night um following the the incident let me go to their website right now i did not see a statement come through last night now again this happened really yeah, late it was like when we were like midnight yeah um eastern yeah time. i was like about to go to bed and then this happened um i do not see a statement on their website um, it's possible that they are waiting to review things on their end as mm-hmm. well. Uh, so they have a clearer idea of what happened. Um, Kyle, what day is that Air Force game? Uh, that's on Thursday, I believe. Hold on. Actually, I've got it right up in front of me. It's uh, Tuesday. Oh, gotcha. It, they, so they play Air Force on Tuesday. I would assume that means Eric Musselman has probably some sort of media availability tomorrow as usually that's what you get the day before a game. So it's possible we'll hear something tomorrow from Muss and maybe f- either from Jordan Caroline or uh, a statement on his behalf. Uh, so we'll know more about this tomorrow, maybe even by the time this podcast goes live. Uh, so stay tuned for that. I want to switch gears and talk about the implications of this game itself uh, which is pretty, it pre- it's pretty important. We were talking on the last podcast about Utah State and how they've started to appear on on the bubble, like at last four in or first four out for a lot of people. Um, and we weren't quite sure they had the heft to their resume that you really needed, even though they had won, you know, a bunch of games in a row. Uh, I think the win against Nevada that might change it. I, I think in my mind they are. They are on the right side of the bubble right now, and unless they maybe unless they drop one to Colorado State to end the regular season or get knocked off in the first round of the Mountain West tournament or something, I think they're in a very good spot to get in that large bid if they don't win the Mountain West tournament. Yeah, I've got a bracket matrix pulled up right now. As of this morning, um, they're in the field as an 11 seed. Um, they're far enough up, up the S curve that they would avoid those uh, the first four. So. Like you said, they're on the right side of the bubble, and they have that one win that they can really point to now um, on their resume. Yeah, um, and again, we I know we, we talked about this out of conference. They beat uh, St. Mary's. That's probably their other really good win, or as close to that as, as you could call it. Um, so Utah State probably in a good position, which is – which is funny because we go on about how down the Mountain West is and they're looking to have two 
bids right now, at least maybe three, depending on who wins the Mountain West tournament. Um, it's not a great league, but it's been a competitive one all year. And it's one that Nevada has now taken uh, a couple of hits in. Remember, they lost to San Diego State just a couple weeks ago on the road. They lost. They got blown out by New Mexico back in January. Uh, what's Nevada's uh, tournament resume looking like right now? Are they have they maybe fallen as far down as the six line with only three losses? Is that really fair? Yeah, I think. And they had been trending down um, since that San Diego State loss. I, Bracket Matrix has them on the six line. I think that six seven range is it's probably appropriate given that that they have they've racked up a ton of Q two wins. And I think you tweeted earlier that Utah State climbed high enough in the net that their win earlier this season now qualifies as a quadrant one win. Is that correct? That is yeah, correct. 30th so, in the, in the net right now. Yeah. Um, so it, they're such a unique case just because they've piled up so many wins without really having a whole, like a whole lot of um, meat to the resume, but right. The, the discourse last night around Nevada was pretty bad. <laughs> um, oh, to be honest, I, I saw somebody, what was the tweet that somebody said that Eric Musselman has done the, 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 worst, the worst coaching, coaching job, job in the country. They're like, they're 26 and three. It's not like they're spiraling yeah, out of control. And like, the thing is like, this was like, this was a good team meeting another good team. Like there's, there's absolutely no right. shame in losing to this Utah State team, especially on the road in what looked like an absolutely crazy environment. I mean, conference losses like this happen all the time. Right. You know, you go to any right. conference and they're going to have like these these little hiccups around the like along the way. But I think the I I think this is where the hype kind of betrays Nevada in a sense, just because they were billed as this like potential final four team with all these seniors and all this like potential NBA talent on the roster. And then when you see them drop three games in conference play, two of which to teams that probably won't make the NCAA tournament, I guess that's enough to kind of call, I don't know, to bring out all the bad takes. <laughs> but I, I honestly, I, I do think they're getting the Gonzaga treatment this year where they're playing in a down league. They've racked up a ton of wins uh, most of which on the West Coast, and people don't really see the value of that at large. And sure, their schedule has betrayed them as well, just because the teams that they did schedule ended up being garbage. Um, but I don't know. I, I, I don't think this. I don't think this scenario is anything new, really, um, to college basketball fans. It just so happened that it took a bad loss and tempers flared on national TV, and you know, out came the takes. I, I think you hit the nail on the head when you said they're getting the Gonzaga treatment. It It's funny because even at the beginning of the year, when we were saying that this is maybe a top five team, that this is a final four caliber team. And I still think they have the talent to get to the final Absolutely. four. Don't get me wrong. Um, it If while we were saying that, like you, you had asked me to guess what their regular season record would be. I probably would have given them two losses. I would have said maybe, they lose to like Arizona state and then slip up somewhere in mountain West play. And they have three losses right now. Like how, 
they're not much worse record-wise than we expected them to be at this point in the season. And yet we're looking at maybe a six or a seven seed for them. And if I were the two or three seed in their region, I would be pretty pissed to see that, to see their name come up uh, next to mine on selection. Uh, We had a nice little riff going back and forth last night. Like this is right where Nevada wants to be. Mm -hmm. I I think this is going to really kind of kick them into gear. And I think, I think they're going to finish the regular season strong, and I would not be surprised if they come out with a purpose in the Mountain West tournament and say, hey, we're still here. We are still good enough to make the second weekend and beyond, and we're we're going to be done messing around. And I don't know how – well, I, I don't know how much I believe the riff. I, I think I believe it quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, part of, it, part of it's a bit, but you can kind of like rationalize it in your mind. Like, okay, just given like kind of – how they've been all season, just kind of inconsistent. And, you know, they've been able to flip the switch when they need to, um, like in individual games, but we haven't really seen them, you know, turn it on for an entire game or a stretch of games. And I guess for those that aren't in the loop here, um, what Chris and I are kind of hinting at is that Nevada probably, it would behoove them to be a, like an underseated anywhere from five to eight seed, even a nine seed, if things really slip up, um, rather than to be an overseeded two or a three seed and they get, then get bounced in the second round. And, you know, people have that, oh, they're overrated discussion then. Um, I think that, you know, in order to, for them to make a deep run like they did last season, they've got to be like a six or a seven. Um, and so that's what we're kind of getting at here. I, I, I just think they're better suited as as underdogs, I think they like having that chip on their shoulder. I, I think it'll be interesting to see how they respond to a game like this, not just a loss, but you know, one as emotionally charged as this. Um, Chris, you mentioned that Nevada has had a little bit of trouble this year, turning it on when they need to, uh, but they have shown the ability to do it. And I think, the best example of that is after they were blown out against New Mexico, when New Mexico State came to their place on New February Mexico. 9th and Eric Musselman posted the final score from that game on every scoreboard, like mm-hmm. during shoot around. And then Nevada came out and destroyed them. Like it, we know what this Nevada team is yeah. capable of. And yeah, they lost to, you know, a, a top 30 team on the road, just like any team in the country could. Uh, they close with game at Air Force and then a home game against San Diego State. So a rematch of another game they lost. And boy, if they, if they choose now to turn it on and to like kind of peak right now, end of the regular season, heading into the postseason, then yeah, this could be that final four team that we thought at the beginning of the year. They have the same personnel. We know that they're loaded. We saw what they did last year and we've seen them at their best this year. I don't think this is the time to to sell their stock. No, I'd be buying right now. <laughs> I will I will buy all of the Nevada shares that anybody on Twitter is, is selling. Like <laughs> give it all give it all to me. Um and a, another take that I was seeing, and I'll address this real fast because I think this is something that I've brought up before on the podcast, and I don't want to just sit here and rehash things. Um People were talking about Nevada's non-conference schedule and how it was lacking Q1 opportunities. 
Well, they opened the season against BYU. They certainly tried. They opened against BYU. They played on a neutral court in a in, ex, in an exempt tournament against Tulsa and UMass. They played at Loyola Chicago. They played at USC. They played Arizona State on a neutral. They played essentially a road game against Grand Canyon, and they hosted South Dakota State. I don't know what else you could do reasonably when making a non-conference schedule, and it just turned out that none of those teams ended up being uh, of quadrant one quality this year. Um, you know, someone said, well, Roy Williams never backs down from a challenge. Go play North Carolina. Well, it's not that easy. If it was that easy, then every, every good mid major team would be playing North Carolina. And I think Wofford and Davidson are the only two that were able to this year. Like there's a finite number of games and a lot of these games are scheduled out far enough in advance so that you don't really know what you're getting. I think it was a safe bet to say that Arizona state and USC could be quad one quad one games. Uh, they just weren't uh, Loyola Chicago was the uh, mountain West Missouri Valley challenge game. That could have been a Q one game. Didn't end up being one, although Loyola Chicago has turned it on at the right time. Um, so I, I don't blame Nevada one bit for the schedule that they put together. Yeah, I, I think um, some people that um, don't examine this as cl- closely as some of us do don't quite understand just how hard putting a schedule um, together is, especially at this level. Yeah, and, and if you want more information about that, actually, go back to the podcast that we did with uh, Dan Muller the mm-hmm. Illinois state head coach over the summer. Uh, he talked about this. He talked about the struggles of putting a schedule together as a quality mid-major team. Um, so I would recommend going back and listening to that. It's, it's a very difficult thing to do. And will continue to be so um, <laughs> increasingly. Yeah, no, that's, so. that's not changing anytime. <laughs> Love those. 20 yes. Games. Yeah. As, as power. That's exactly it. As the power conferences keep moving to 20 game schedules, that creates fewer opportunities and more opportunities for us to have this discussion because we're going to have Absolutely. it. Absolutely. All right. As, as I mentioned up top, we have some conference tournaments beginning this week. We are going to talk about those in just a minute. But first, here's this. And we're back here on the Mid-Major Madness podcast. Russ Steinberg joined by Chris Schutte and Kyle Cajero. We have conference tournaments beginning this week. It all starts Monday night with the A-Sun quarterfinals. Then on Tuesday, the Big South, Horizon League, and Patriot League tip-off. The NEC and OVC are both on Wednesday. So those will be the tournaments that begin play probably before we speak with you guys again. Um, I think it would be fun for us to kind of go down the list and say who we took in the Jerome and why. Uh, If you're not familiar with the Jerome, it's just an annual contest every year to pick the winners of conference tournaments. Um, It started out as a big thing among college basketball media. And in the last few years, fans have really gotten into it as well, um, as have we. So let's just start with the A-Sun because that's up first. I picked Lipscomb. Uh, Who did you guys have? Bisons. Oh, yeah. Yep. Bisons, too. (laughs) I I wrote our A-Sun preview. it's going up on the site. Um, we'll probably be up on the site by the time people are listening to this, but I, I think it really came down to, you know, they have home court advantage. They have the league's best player in Garrison Matthews. 
I think there's still a touch better than Liberty and a pretty significant amount better than the rest of the league. Um, so I think that made that pick pretty easy. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. Um, I will say, and I, I think Lipscomb and Liberty followed like kind of the same sort of pattern mm-hmm. to their seasons. Um, they split their season series. They each took a really bad loss uh, late. And I think for me, it, it just came down to home court. That was going to be the tiebreaker for me. Lipscomb ended up getting home court in the championship game should they advance. Um, so I went with them. And really, I don't see – I could see Liberty winning it. I don't see any other team other than those two uh, possibly cutting down the nets. In the yeah, when I, when I was trying to write the preview, I was – I wanted to include a couple teams that weren't Lipscomb and Liberty, but I – had a tough time like trying to rationalize why I think someone could give them a game. I think I ended up going with North Florida because they shoot a lot of threes and could pretend like that's a high risk, high reward type of situation. I think I yeah. also put NJIT just because they started off so well and then kind of spiraled late, but they had a couple of, they had a bunch of close losses and they played both Lipscomb and Liberty pretty close um, down the stretch. And, but yeah, I I, th- I would be surprised if anybody other than Lipscomb or Liberty wins this one. All right, uh, let's look at the Big South. I ma- I made my picks before we knew who would have home court, and it just worked out for me that the team that ended up winning the regular season is the team that I picked, and I picked Campbell. Um, I think the I think the NCAA tournament and college basketball fans in general just deserve Chris Clemens in the big dance, and I hope that's what they get. Uh, Radford was obviously the other uh, big contender there. They won it last year, actually in a in dramatic fashion. Uh, but, yeah, I'm, I'm going with the Camels. So when in doubt, choose the team with the best player, and that is the 5-9, 3,000-point score. Yeah, I picked Campbell, too, and that's pretty much my exact reason. I don't really have a whole lot more to add on the Big South. I also, I uh, yeah, I also picked Campbell um, for the same reason that everyone else will. Um, basically, at this point, if you don't want Chris Clemens in the NCAA tournament, you're the police. And <laughs> I'm not. I That's mean, true. I just just watching that Campbell Radford game this past weekend. That was one of the more entertaining games I've seen all year. Um, and for his ability to turn it on and to really make plays when they needed to, and um, you know, it, it's not just a one-man show. Um, Andrew Udy also had a pretty great game. He had some huge rebounds down the stretch. And, you know, I know that they aren't as deep as Radford is, and that could really hinder them if they're going to make a run here. Um, but I, I just feel like, <laughs> as I said, we, we need Chris Clemens in the tournament pretty badly. So, like, two years ago... Uh is kind of when I discovered Chris Clemens mm-hmm. for myself because they were playing in the big South tournament during the day. And I was just watching it at work. And I was like, Hey, who's this five, nine guy who's going off. Uh, I feel like UD might be that guy for me this year on Campbell. Um, just based on the few minutes that I watched of him against Radford. He just seems like the guy who this year, I'm just going to be riding the UD train while everyone's talking about Chris Clemens, just, just to be that guy. <laughs> Gotta have the contrarian takes. Yeah, exactly. Um, the Horizon League 
They get underway on Tuesday. Um, this is not one that I followed closely this year, Chris. I know you're probably better in tune with this than I am. I took Northern Kentucky, uh, but I could be persuaded to go with Wright State or Huey Pewey or anyone else. I'm going to second myself on this one too. I I also picked Northern Kentucky uh, just because the computers love them a lot. Um, Yeah, please tell us more. Could I interest you guys in an eight seed IUPUI winning the Horizon League tournament? Yes, you can, because one thing I do know about that tournament is that the lower seeds always yeah, and win. It, we, I touched on this in the last podcast. There's not a whole lot of separation um, between a lot of the seeds. Like Wright State and Northern Kentucky tied to end the regular season. I think Oakland and Green Bay, who will host the quarterfinal games, they had similar records. Um, and then the six, seven, and eight seeds all finished at uh, eight and ten. So when I say it's anybody's tournament, it really kind of is anyone's tournament. Like I would not be surprised for any any team to come out. I think Northern Kentucky and Wright State should be considered the favorites, but I picked IEPY because they gave me a degree and if it comes true, I'll look really smart. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think picking them in some stupid games a pretty fair trade off for helping me like be a functioning member of society. I think so too. Uh, please don't ask me about really loosely pick. calling it functioning. <laughs> yeah, are you going to pick Pepperdine? Oh no, I'm not. It, this isn't oh. the year. <laughs> what what percentage of <laughs> picks is Gonzaga going to get? Probably not as high as it should, because because some people will just take St. Mary's to be like, hey, I could gain a couple points here. Game theory. Yeah, it should I, be 100. It should be 100. I, I, uh, was this one of them that we are? Yeah, I took Gonzaga. <laughs> yeah, that without was, thinking. That was the easiest pick. That was very easy for me. Of the bunch. Yeah. And, and there were some picks that I made that were a little risky. Oh, that yeah, was you kind of have them. to do that. Like, it, it's boring to pick. Yeah, it, it's more fun. Stuff. Right. And these are, these are kind of a crapshoot, anyways. Uh, and, and we say this as we've gone through the first three tournaments and we've all picked the same Incorrect. team. Incorrect. I picked IEPY. <laughs> no, I oh. actually did pick oh, them. Sorry. <laughs> That's right. Oh, I'm sorry. But who do you actually think is going to win? I kind of think Green Bay is going to win it. <laughs> it's kind of it's a right. weird They're take. They're one of those high-risk, high-reward teams, I think. They've. Who am I like, to I'm a big, <laughs> big Sandy Cohen guy. They just beat uh, Wright State uh, last week. They played Northern Kentucky really close. Um, they play fast. Uh, they're they're my dark horse pick. All right, uh, let's go to the Patriot League. Um, I made I made my picks without doing any research, and I'm yeah, actually everybody ha- like yeah was making their picks on like Monday. Yeah, like I did that. I out. shouldn't have. I did that like before the brackets and I just, I'm impatient. Um, but I'm actually happy with the pick that I made because I, I do think Colgate is going to win it. Um, they are the one seed, but I probably would have been more inclined to go 
with Bucknell just because they seem like the safe pick. They did not close out the season um, in very convincing fashion. They lost three out of their last five and needed a pretty amazing comeback to beat Army at home on senior day, and that's not a good Army team. Uh, So I I did go with Colgate. Uh, They finished the season strong. They haven't lost since February 2nd, and they'll have home court advantage throughout. I picked Lehigh. Give me the best three-point shooting team in the country, and let's ride. I picked Bucknells because I'm a creature of habit. They've won the last two tournaments, and although they lost a pretty huge senior class, uh, they do return Nate Sestina, who's one of the best players in the Patriot League. Um, From my very cursory research, of course, um, another team that plays really fast and shoots a bunch of threes. So that's the risk I'm taking. Well, I'll say that it'll probably be the most fun if Lehigh wins it and they go to the tournament as the best three-point shooting team in the country. And then, you know, if they get like a 15 seed, they could maybe put put a scare into someone with a good shooting day. That'd be a lot of fun. They've certainly never done that before. No, never. That's never happened. (laughs) It'd be a a real shame if Lehigh were to get a 15 seed and take down a two. It could be big for the program. Can Duke slip down to a two? I'm just spitballing here. I I don't think they can. I I think they have they have the Zion yeah, excuse because uh, all these games don't count. Oh, so God. I've heard. Right. right. Asterisk. Um. Yeah. I I think the only way they slip down to a two is if like they lose to Wake Forest in North Carolina <laughs> to end the season, and there's just no way they're losing to Wake Forest. Wake Forest is garbage. Well, could North Carolina maybe jump them? Um, like, say, if North Carolina wins that that second matchup, and then it's like North Carolina and Virginia in the ACC championship game, is it possible that North Carolina could jump up, jump them on that one line? Like, do you... I hate I hate to say it, but I don't think Duke would be the team that they jump. God, there's there's going to be three ACC teams as a one seed, and Gonzaga is going to get a two seed. I'm going to get mad online. Or maybe it'll be Kentucky, but knowing, knowing how nothing good happens. I'm trying to just rationalize the, the scenario that's going to piss me off the most. It's per Ken Palm. (laughs) Jeez. All right, let's move on to the Northeast conference. They start with their quarterfinals on Wednesday. Um, The NEC is always a tournament that has a chair of upsets. This was a conference all season that was really bunched up near the top. Fairly Dickinson and St. Francis ended the season tied. Uh, St. Francis gets the number one seed, I believe, if I remember that correctly. Yeah. Um, I wrote the bracket post. I should know that. I went with St. Francis. Um because I really like Keith Braxton. I think he's a really good player. So what the hell? I went with it. Um, Also, I don't think anybody in this conference is especially good. Um, I will say (laughs) if you want, I I, I just, I think every team is like kind of similarly bad. Um, If you want a real dark horse, Sacred Heart finished the year really strong. Um, They actually ended up with the three seed and that is their best finish uh, in the Anthony Latina era, so they would be one to watch out for. Uh, but I played it safe here, and I went with St. Francis. 
I picked FDU. Just I'm trying Fair. to get an extra point. <laughs> like some trying to be different. Yeah. I also picked Farley Dickinson, and I don't really have any good reason for it. Yeah. Um I can't say I've watched a whole lot of NEC basketball this year. Yeah, I mean it's it's tough. One thing to note about the NEC, and it's they do something that I think a lot of smaller conferences should start doing, and that is they reseed their tournament after every round. Yeah. Just ensures that the highest remaining seeds get the easiest road to the championship. I think the Big West switched to that this year. Oh, they did? Yeah, they did. That's smart. Basically, if you're a conference like the NEC or the Big West or any of those, you want your best teams to be the ones that make the NCAA tournament because you want to have the best chance you possibly can to win a game and earn a little extra money. So that's what that's why they do it that way, and I think it's smart. Yeah, if yeah, if you're a league that traditionally gets one bid, try to get your best team into it. <laughs> Pretty simple. And speaking of leagues that go out of their way to really uh, tip the scale in favor of their best teams, the Ohio Valley also starts on Wednesday, mm-hmm. and they have one of those ladder formats. Uh, Belmont and uh, Murray State got the top two seeds. This was one where I was a little bit different, and I took Jacksonville. Um, yeah. Hey, you know what? I know Je- we've talked about this before, that Ohio Valley has four solid teams, uh, Belmont, Murray, Jacksonville, and Austin P. And I figured 90% of people are going to take Belmont or Murray, so might as well take Jacksonville and see what happens. And Jacksonville this year I think is a little underrated. They've beaten Belmont already. They swept Belmont, I should say, and they beat Murray. So they are three and zero against the top two seeds. Yeah, and they they made the tournament uh, a couple of years ago. So I, I, they've kind of got um, a little bit of experience. I'm not sure how many guys from that team are still left, but you know Ray Harper, I think, is a really good coach, and he's done really well since he got there. They have five seniors on that team. Uh, Western There's six, six seniors on that team that were on the same roster that went to the NCAA tournament. So there you go. They yeah, have the so. experience. So. Yeah. I'm on their Ken Palm page, number three in the country in experience. So that's pretty good recipe. I, uh, I went with Murray state just cause I'm a huge John ja Morant stand. Oh, of course. Yeah. We, um, we want John. Ja. I want him in the tournament. So, <laughs> And, um, that's totally fair. Call call it the basic pick. Uh, I, I picked Belmont um, just because of their coaching and their offense. Um, I think both of those things will really ride them to, will really make them fare well in the tournament. Um, but if not, uh, I am writing a couple articles that I will actually publish this time about <laughs> <laughs> about um, like the people's picks, I guess, is what I'm calling them. And Murray State is my people's pick just because oh. of John Morant. Um, and I feel like for sheer entertainment value and for getting those NBA goobers to watch the NCAA tournament for once, um, <laughs> it would behoove everyone to have. I've, seen, I've said that word three times in this podcast. Damn. Um, it would really help the the uh, the sport as a whole to have John Morant win. Um, and I, I do think that Belmont's one of those fringe candidates that could probably squeak out in at large if – a lot of things break right. Um, so a two-bit OVC would definitely make Cam happy. 
Yeah. They can make us and all really, happy. we're all about just making Cam happy whenever yeah. possible. As, as we mentioned on the last podcast, we only want the outcomes that are going to benefit <laughs> us the most. Yeah. Right. We want to cover over 50% of the field in the tournament. And I think this is the year to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mid-major madness takes over March madness. Mid-March madness. A lot, a lot going on yeah. there. Um, see, I think that was all the tournaments. Uh, um, see, VCU is at George Mason on Tuesday. And they had a little scare um, at Richmond over the weekend. Against. Yeah. Oh, that would have been so bad. Uh, yeah, thank God that didn't happen. Um, see, Buffalo's at Ohio. Ohio's not any good, are they? No. But Bowling Green to no, close it out. Yeah, yeah that could good. that's kind of an interesting one. That could maybe maybe give them problems. But ever since that that loss to Bowling Green, they've really kind of looked like they're on a mission. They're starting to they've played pretty well the last time couple of times I've watched them. Hey, speaking of disasters in the Atlantic 10, Dayton ruined its at-large chances, <sighs> losing at home to Rhode Island. Every time I want to think Dayton is good, they go out and lose a game that they shouldn't. Every time I want to defend the Atlantic 10 as a multi-bid league, this happens. Yeah, I don't think this is going to be the year <laughs> that you can do it. I don't now, unless VCU gets knocked off in the A10 tournament. Mm-hmm. I think this is a one bid league. How fun would it have been for um, Dayton to play in the first four? Is that even like could that it's, even happen? It's Would've happened had... before, actually. It happened a couple years ago. Did yeah. it? Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm stupid. And that is the have a bad memory. One exception to the you can't play on your home court rule. All right, should we wrap this up? Right. Yeah. All right, everybody, thank you for listening to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. For Chris Schutte and Kyle Cajero, I am Russ Steinberg. We will talk to you again later this week. Until then, enjoy the beginning of the conference tournaments.